Chapter Six of the Lost Princess. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lost Princess by George MacDonald. Chapter Six. Meantime, the wise woman was busy as she always was, and her business now was with the child of the shepherd and shepherdess away in the north. Her name was Agnes. Her father and mother were poor, and could not give her many things. Rosamond would have utterly despised the rude, simple playthings she had. Yet, in one respect, they were of more value far than hers. The king bought Rosamond's with his money. Agnes's father made hers with his hands. And while Agnes had but few things, not seeing many things about her, and not even knowing that there were many things anywhere, she did not wish for many things, and was therefore neither covetous nor avaricious. She played with the toys her father made her, and thought them the most wonderful things in the world, windmills and little crooks and water-wheels, and sometimes lambs made all of wool, and dolls made out of the leg-bones of sheep which her mother dressed for her, and of such playthings she was never tired. Sometimes, however, she preferred playing with stones, which were plentiful, and flowers, which were few, or the brooks that ran down the hill, of which, although there were many, she could only play with one at a time, and that, indeed, troubled her a little, or live lambs that were not all wool, or the sheep-dogs, which were very friendly with her, and the best of playfellows, as she thought, for she had no human ones to compare them with. Neither was she greedy after nice things, but content, as well she might be, with the homely food provided for her. Nor was she by nature particularly self-willed or disobedient. She generally did what her father and mother wished, and believed what they told her. But by degrees they had spoiled her, and this was the way. They were so proud of her that they always repeated everything she said and told everything she did even when she was present. And so full of admiration of their child were they, that they wondered and laughed at and praised things in her which, in another child, would never have struck them as the least remarkable, and some things, even, which would in another have disgusted them altogether. Impertinent and rude things done by their child they thought so clever, laughing at them as something quite marvelous, her commonplace speeches were said over again as if they had been the finest poetry, and the pretty ways which every moderately good child has were extolled as if the result of her excellent taste and the choice of her judgment and will. They would even say sometimes that she ought not to hear her own praises, for fear it should make her vain, and then whisper them behind their hands, but so loud that she could not fail to hear every word. The consequence was that she soon came to believe, so soon that she could not recall the time when she did not believe, as the most absolute fact in the universe, that she was somebody, that is, she became most immoderately conceited. Now, as the least atom of conceit is a thing to be ashamed of, you may fancy what she was like with such a quantity of it inside her. At first... It did not show itself outside in any very active form. But the wise woman had been to the cottage, and had seen her sitting alone 
with such a smile of self-satisfaction upon her face as would have been quite startling to her if she had ever been startled at anything. For through that smile she could see lying at the root of it the worm that made it. For some smiles are like the ruddiness of certain apples, which is owing to a centipede or other creeping thing coiled up at the heart of them. Only her worm had a face and shape that were the very image of her own, and she looked so simpering and mawkish and self-conscious and silly that she made the wise woman feel rather sick. Not that the child was a fool. Had she been, the wise woman would have only pitied and loved her instead of feeling sick when she looked at her. She had very fair abilities, and were she once but made humble, would be capable not only of doing a good deal in time, but of beginning at once to grow to no end. But if she were not made humble, her growing would be to a mass of distorted shapes all huddled together, so that, although the body she now showed might grow up straight and well-shaped and comely to behold, the new body that was growing inside of it, and would come out of it when she died, would be ugly and crooked this way and that, like an aged hawthorn that has lived hundreds of years exposed upon all sides to salt sea winds. As time went on, this disease of self-conceit went on too, gradually devouring the good that was in her. For there is no fault that does not bring its brothers and sisters and cousins to live with it. By degrees, from thinking herself so clever, she came to fancy that whatever seemed to her must, of course, be the correct judgment, and whatever she wished, the right thing, and grew so obstinate that at length her parents feared to thwart her in anything, knowing well that she would never give in. But there are victories far worse than defeats, and to overcome an angel too gentle to put out all his strength, and ride away in triumph on the back of a devil, is one of the poorest. So long as she was left to take her own way and do as she would, she gave her parents little trouble. She would play about by herself in the little garden with its few hardy flowers, or amongst the heather where the bees were busy, or she would wander away amongst the hills and be nobody knew where, sometimes from morning to night, nor did her parents venture to find fault with her. She never went into rages like the princess, and would have thought Rosamond, oh, so ugly and vile, if she had seen her in one of her passions. But she was no better for all that and was quite as ugly in the eyes of the wise woman, who could not only see, but read her face. What is there to choose between a face distorted to hideousness by anger, and one distorted to silliness by self-complacency? True, there is more hope of helping the angry child out of her form of selfishness than the conceited child out of hers, but on the other hand, the conceited child was not so terrible or dangerous as the wrathful one. The conceited one, however, was sometimes very angry, and then her anger was more spiteful than the others, and again the wrathful one was often very conceited too, so that, on the whole, of two very unpleasant creatures, I would say that the king's daughter would have been the worst, had not the shepherds been quite as bad. but. As I have said, the wise woman had her eye upon her. She saw that something special must be done, else she would be...
be one of those who kneel to their own shadows till feet grow on their knees, then go down on their hands till their hands grow into feet, then lay their faces on the ground till they grow into snouts, when at last they are a hideous sort of lizards, each of which believes himself the best, wisest, and loveliest being in the world, yea, the very center of the universe. And so they run about forever looking for their own shadows, that they may worship them, and miserable because they cannot find them, being themselves too near the ground to have any shadows. And what becomes of them at last there is but one who knows. The wise woman, therefore, one day walked up to the door of the shepherd's cottage, dressed like a poor woman, and asked for a drink of water. The shepherd's wife looked at her, liked her, and brought her a cup of milk. The wise woman took it, for she made it a rule to accept every kindness that was offered her. Agnes was not by nature a greedy girl, as I have said, but self-conceit will go far to generate every other vice under the sun. Vanity, which is a form of self-conceit, has repeatedly shown itself as the deepest feeling in the heart of a horrible murderess. That morning, at breakfast, her mother had stinted her in milk, just a little, that she might have enough to make some milk porridge for their dinner. Agnes did not mind it at the time, but when she saw the milk now given to a beggar, as she called the wise woman, though, surely, one might ask a draught of water and accept a draught of milk without being a beggar in any such sense as Agnes's contemptuous use of the word implied, a cloud came upon her forehead, and a double vertical wrinkle settled over her nose. The wise woman saw it, for all her business was with Agnes, though she little knew it, and, rising, went and offered the cup to the child, where she sat with her knitting in a corner. Agnes looked at it, did not want it, was inclined to refuse it from a beggar, but, thinking it would show her consequence to assert her rights, took it and drank it up. For whoever is possessed by a devil judges with the mind of that devil, and hence Agnes was guilty of such a meanness as many who are themselves capable of something just as bad will consider incredible. The wise woman waited till she had finished it, then, looking into the empty cup, said, You might have given me back as much as you had no claim upon. Agnes turned away and made no answer, far less from shame than indignation. The wise woman looked at the mother. "'You should not have offered it to her if you did not mean her to have it,' said the mother, siding with the devil in her child against the wise woman, and her child, too. Some foolish people think they take another's part when they take the part he takes. The wise woman said nothing but fixed her eyes upon her, and soon the mother hid her face in her apron, weeping. Then she turned again to Agnes, who had never looked round but sat with her back to both, and suddenly lapped her in the folds of her cloak. When the mother again lifted her eyes, she had vanished. Never supposing she had carried away her child, but uncomfortable because of what she had said to the poor woman, the mother went to the door and called after her as she toiled slowly up the hill. But she never turned her head, and the mother went back into her cottage. The wise woman walked close past the shepherd and his dogs, and through the midst of his flock of sheep. The shepherd wondered where she could be going, right up the hill? 
There was something strange about her, too, he thought, and he followed her with his eyes as she went up and up. It was near sunset, and as the sun went down, a gray cloud settled on the top of the mountain, which his last rays turned into a rosy gold. Straight into this cloud the shepherd saw the woman hold her pace, and in it she vanished. He little imagined that his child was under her cloak. He went home as usual in the evening, but Agnes had not come in. They were accustomed to such an absence now and then, and were not, at first, frightened. But when it grew dark, and she did not appear, the husband set out with his dogs in one direction and the wife in another to seek their child. Morning came, and they had not found her. Then the whole countryside arose to search for the missing Agnes, but day after day, and night after night passed, and nothing was discovered of or concerning her, until at length all gave up the search in despair, except the mother, although she was nearly convinced now that the poor woman had carried her off. One day she had wandered some distance from her cottage, thinking she might come upon the remains of her daughter at the foot of some cliff, when she came suddenly, instead, upon a disconsolate-looking creature sitting on a stone by the side of a stream. Her hair hung in tangles from her head, her clothes were tattered, and through the rents her skin showed in many places. Her cheeks were white and worn thin with hunger. The hollows were dark under her eyes, and they stood out scared and wild. When she caught sight of the shepherdess, she jumped to her feet and would have run away, but fell down in a faint. At first sight, the mother had taken her for her own child. But now she saw, with a pang of disappointment, that she had been mistaken. Full of compassion, nevertheless, she said to herself, If she is not my Agnes, she is as much in need of help as if she were. If I cannot be good to my own, I will be as good as I can to some other woman's, and though I should scorn to be consoled for the loss of one by the presence of another, I yet may find some gladness in rescuing one child from the death which has taken the other. Perhaps her words were not just like these, but her thoughts were. She took up the child and carried her home. And this is how Rosamond came to occupy the place of the little girl whom she had envied in the picture. End of chapter 6